baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Get more at 971talk.com. Hello and welcome back to All Pink All the Time here on Wiggins America. We are doing this, of course, because Pink said that we can't. I want to get to a very, very important guest. And I won't tell you who he is yet, but I want to open with this story. It's something that you've probably heard about if you've been paying any sort of attention. But if you haven't, then this hasn't really broken through well enough, even though Democrats saw it as a really good opportunity to stick it to Republicans. I'm reading from Politico here. It says GOP national sales tax talk backfires as Dems see political gold. So you've heard Joe Biden talking about this. He's been trying to bring it to the forefront that Republicans now want it. They just want to charge you more for everything, completely ignoring the fact that what they're trying to do is reduce the overall cost by adding a national sales tax. Now, we'll talk about how you feel about that in just a second, but here's the politics of it. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has backed his fellow Republicans into a corner, Politico says, with one of the promises he made to his far right flank to land his job, clearly no bias in this article, opening the door to considering fringe legislation that would replace the income tax with a federal sales tax and abolish the IRS. Now, if you haven't heard that, then you're about to hear about it because I am going to try to stump the man who knows everything. The man who knows everything. Welcome to the show, man who knows everything. Thanks, Ryan. It's good to be here. Now, of course, I'm going to try to stump you with some knowledge here, but you know everything. And I'll see if you happen to not know this. This is some pretty deep dive stuff. So this comes from Bloomberg. Surprisingly, they are willing to listen to the idea. Apparently, whoever wrote this for Benjamin Guggenheim for uh, Politico is not willing to listen to that idea. But Bloomberg is. And the title of this article is Republican tax proposals aren't as bonkers as they sound. Let's start with this. The fiscal challenges the U.S. faces over the following decade are stark. Each Democrat and mainstream Republicans ought to come to acknowledge that incorporating a flat tax on consumption into the federal tax system is without a doubt one of the least painful, each by way of burden on working households and the financial system as an in- entirely. Methods of assembly to these challenges. Methods of fixing these challenges. These, this isn't this written very well, to be honest with you. Um, it goes on to say that the prospect of closing the hole in the budget, the, the gap, by means of spending cuts alone is bleak. So it will require a cross-the-board discount of roughly 25% to all federal spending to cut that budget. But if you leave Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and some of the biggest like defense spending alone, which almost always they do, they're toxic to touch, even though they definitely need reform <clears throat> and somebody's got to do it at some point or they're just going to collapse. So somebody's got to have some cojones to do this stuff. But assuming that they don't touch those things, it actually means that they would need to cut 50% to balance the budget from all the other stuff. Man who knows everything. Did you know that? Yes. Dang 
everything. So economists have long recognized that flat consumption taxes are much less damaging to financial progress than the present system. More modern analysis means that this benefit grows exponentially as tax charges rise. So as products, if you're talking about a sales tax, a national sales tax, the more you consume, the more you pay. And so the argument is, of course, the the long-time argument has been from Democrats that if you enact a flat tax, which is in conjunction with this national sales tax, if I didn't mention that, then I apologize. But that's the plan, is that if we, if we enact a national sales tax, then we can finally have a lower flat tax across the board. And if you do that, Democrats have long argued that it would benefit only the rich to have a flat tax because it's the same across the board. So if you have a million dollars or if you have $10,000, if you're paying 10%, that's a lot more of $10,000 than it is of a million dollars, even though percentage-wise it's the exact same. I mean, it's, it's an illogical argument, but the argument is that if you have more, you should pay more. That's what a progressive tax is. This completely undercuts that because you do have the flat tax, but when you you do a consumer tax, then those who have the most money, who are buying the most things and the most expensive things, are still paying the most, versus if you don't make much, you're not buying as much. Man who knows everything. Did you know that? Yes, I knew that. <laughs> the man who knows everything. Every time. Every time. Well, I'll have to tip my hat to you because, once again, I did not stump you. Uh, And I want to go on even from trying to do the stump thing and just say this, that I'm not sure, after doing this whole analysis here, whether I agree with the national sales tax at all either. So I'm not necessarily stumping for that here on Wiggins America. I just think that it's nice to see creative proposals because things can't stay as they are. Um, a, a national sales tax actually looks a lot more like a European system, which is why you see Bloomberg here in this article actually arguing for it, because it is a little bit more socialist to tax spending. And their tax, if you I mean, travel abroad, if you've ever done that, the taxes on spending anything, whether it be at restaurants or buying souvenirs or whatever, is very high. And it doesn't always feel as high because they work it into the price there. Whereas here, you buy an item for 10 bucks and you add 30% to it, you're going to pay $13 and you go, oh man, I didn't realize that was three extra dollars. There, they just work it into the overall cost and they just charge you $13. So it's a, it's a way around realizing you're paying taxes, but I'm not sure that the answer is to switch to a full-on national sales tax. That's a very, very borderline socialist philosophy that, you know, I think these are these are good topics to discuss because there is possible merit to them. I mean, Herman Cain, for instance, was trying to introduce his 999. Remember that when he was running for president in 2012? He attempted to enact at least as part of his policy, a national sales tax. And there was a lot of hemming and hawing about that from both sides. And I still think there is something to be said about that. The problem is that adding a new tax is almost always a bad idea because the promise of cutting a tax with it usually is temporary, whereas the new tax is permanent. 
So you'd have to very much watch the way these things are written. I, I do trust that Republicans in the House, at least the uh, strong contingency of the 20, if not more at this point, would be very, very particular about that. But to get Democrats on board in the Senate and the White House, I don't really see it happening. Not because there aren't good ideas happening everywhere. I think this is one where you really could work across the aisle and say, let's make this whole thing easier and more fair and try to cut the budget uh, and the deficit. These are good conversations to have, but is this the solution? Well, that's for a different day. But I do think it's good to talk about these things. So I do thank the man who knows everything for being here once again. Clearly, he knew all of that. Someday I'll stump him, I assume. It's not just some bit we're doing. Clearly, it's reality. The guy knows literally everything in the world. He proves it every time I ask him. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Trisha, thank you for your time in this segment. I did rope you into it because you didn't know you were even going to be in here for this segment. No, I did not. But I'm glad to be here, I think. So I said, come here, listen to something real quick. And you're like, okay. And then you realized, oh, I'm just doing a radio hit. Is that what's happening? (laughs) Yes. Is there nothing to listen to? No, no, there is something to listen to. But I need to set it up with you. Prior to being on air would have been. That would have been fine. But Mm -hmm. we don't have time for that. We, this is a fast-paced business. You know, things are moving. This is the 21st century. I need you I need you to explain the conversation that we had. Now, I was supposed to fill out a survey for sales, right? But you were filling it out for me. Yes. And you were just asking me the questions and then filling in the blanks with whatever I said. Yeah, for context, I was putting together station media kits. Yes. To where... The sales staff can have a quick reference guide yes. to all the movers and the shakers. Yeah, exactly, which I am one. Clearly a mover and a shaker. And yeah. if you, you know, if you're listening right now and you're like, shoot, I need to get my word out, this is the place to do it. This guys moving and shaking. Moving and shaking and constant like doctors think there's something wrong with me. <laughs> yes, they do. And so do. in filling out that survey, mm-hmm. you asked me for local charities that I was passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I said initially that I really, I mostly give to international missions and my church. Now my church is involved in some local stuff, but I'm not directly involved with that. that doesn't count. And you said that doesn't count. That's not at all what I said. So so I said, that is not at all what you led with. Go on. (laughs) So I said, fine, then put in what? Pretzels for Pups. Pretzels for pups, mm-hmm. which I made up on the spot. Yep. And I said no. And you, you told me that I couldn't <laughs> because it wasn't real. And I said, well, how do you know it's not real? Just because I just made it up doesn't mean it's not real. I still have a passion for this project. <laughs> Again, for the sake of context, I didn't want to put it in there because it's not real, not because I don't care about pretzels for pumps, but because I didn't want to be misleading for your one sheet 
when sales looks at it and says, here's a mover and a shaker, I didn't want anybody else to be like, oh, pretzels for pups. I'm passionate about that, too. Ryan Wiggins, are you passionate about it? And then to put you in an awkward situation later where you're like, I lied. Oh, no, no. You would not be putting me in an awkward situation at all. I didn't want to put misinformation on these. It's not misinformation. That's my point. It's not misinformation. It is a charity that I made up. Nobody else would be passionate about it because it is mine. (laughs) So this is my appeal to you to still put pretzels for pups on the media kit for me. And if you're like, no, Ryan, it's not real. Well, I want you to know that we have now hired an ad agency to start producing spots for us at pretzels for pups. And I wanted to play for you our first ad. Oh, Lord. That maybe, maybe that I, I could play this and you would realize that we're for real. You ready? Mm. Was that a yes? <laughs> it was as much as you're going to get out of me for this. <laughs> Hi, this is Ryan from Pretzels for Pups. Did you know that in our own country, according to a paper, less than 10% of all dogs have eaten a full-size soft pretzel in their entire lives? It doesn't have to be this way. Not with pretzels for pups. I don't have to tell you what our passion is. It's right there in the name. How can I help, Ryan? How do you think you can help? It's so obvious. I don't need to still be talking. We don't want your money. Get a pretzel and feed it to a dog. We are not a not-for-profit. We are not a 501c3. Feed a pretzel to a dog. Do you hear that? Feed a pretzel to a dog. Pretzels for pups. Feed a pretzel to a dog. Pretzelsforpups.ding.gum. I'll give you time to digest if you need to. Have you even thought about if pretzels are good for dogs? <laughs> of course. I have we thought about that. <laughs> I. Where are you gonna get the pretzels? That's not up to me. Did you hear the spot? Have you? You should really think about partnering with a local pretzel company. I'm fine with if, that. If pretzels are good for pups, I don't need to be bogged down in the details. Dogs need food. Pretzels are food. That is as far as this needs to go. No, 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 no. Because if there's certain foods that if you feed a dog, it's bad. Like a chocolate pretzel, maybe. But have you ever eaten or seen a chocolate pretzel? Well, I'm just asking. A full you know size sure one. That the pretzels are good for pups. I don't. And pups versus dogs, those are different things. Puppies' bellies are different than dog bellies. I'm just, I'm worried about the whole concept. You, you're getting way too in the weeds with this. It's obvious that a dog would eat a pretzel given the chance. Dogs need food to survive. You love pretzels. I love pretzels. We're not covering them in chocolate. These aren't the little ones. There's no way that this could go wrong. And I don't even have to do anything. <laughs> this, this is all on them. Passion. I'm just sharing. And I have the platform to do so. I'm sharing my passion. And I just want people to look into this for themselves. If you're concerned about your dog having a stomachache after a pretzel, maybe you should look into that. But it's something that I think that a dog would like. And this is about, as you know, this is this is the 21st century. <laughs> I keep saying that because I want you to know that <laughs> in the time that we live in, and clearly not making this up on the spot, that 
emotions come first and the way that you feel or a dog feels should be considered in this transaction. And I think a dog would like a pretzel. Mm. And to that point, the way a dog feels is more important than the way the people feel in the 21st century. I did not say, now you're projecting that on me. I didn't say that. No, that's how I feel. Oh, okay. Then we're on the same page. (laughs) Still not putting that in the station media kit. No. Let's talk off air. Because I think there's there's common ground that we're finding the further we get into this. 97.1 FM Talk. This is Wiggins America. Thanks for being here. On the phone with us right now is Kevin McGarry. He is the founder, co-founder of Every Black Life Matters, EBLM, among many, many other things. Kevin, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Ryan. It's a real honor and privilege for me to be here. So you are in D.C. right now. Tell us just about why you're there, because you're normally a West Coaster, but you're on the East Coast. Yeah, so I was one of the prayer warriors uh, out of, let's see, we probably had 60 people that, or 50 people that prayed today. But essentially, Jim Garlow and um, Dr. Tony Perkins uh, had a national uh, day or national prayer and repentance uh, sort of morning here in D.C. So we had all kinds of people from all over the country, mostly ministers, but we also had about 20 to 25 congressional folks, including the Speaker of the House, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who also showed up. And uh, it was just a wonderful time. Uh, it was just all prayer and repentance for what's going on in America. You know, at some point, when we see how things are going, uh, especially as people of faith, we have to b- begin to wonder, is it, have we, you know, is there a national repentance yeah. that needs to be acknowledged, that needs to be done? And so um, so that was done, and we covered everything. We covered personal repentance. We covered uh, uh, repentance, you know, church repentance, institutional and then we covered uh, national, and uh, then we covered uh, leadership. So I mean, so it was, it was it was wonderful. So we spent about let's see, from about six thirty this morning here in D.C. to about nine o'clock, so about two and a half hours of uh, intensive prayer. That is that is great, and that's not even really the headline of what we were talking about today. But I feel like it just feeds into everything that we're talking about. Uh, was there? I, I I hate to make this a party thing. And because I hope it's not, but were were Democrats there, or is this mostly Republicans? I don't know the political allegiances of the individuals who participated. I did not see like congressional Black Caucus members or you know notable Democrats. No, I didn't see anybody uh, like that there. Uh, there could have been people in the audience who were uh, Democrats, but I. You know, there's no way of knowing. Yeah, and I don't even want to necessarily parse it out. I just was curious. You mentioned Kevin McCarthy and people like that. I would just love to see, you know, if if the Democrats did have leadership there too. Uh, we are talking about though this weekend. Memphis is on fire. Is the uh, kind of the headline here of your article? Police brutality, yes. Police racism, no. I'm surprised that we have to be addressing that because it seems like p- fairly clear cut. Yet here we are still talking about is this racist? Well, yeah. I mean, you have your favorite uh, media sources like CNN and MSNBC and some of these uh, and and Black Lives Matter and the Obamas that even pointed to Black Lives Matter and trying to get people to go back and support them, that that group. But um, so you have you have these organizations and individuals that are trying to gin up a story about racism and supremacy. And uh, it just is never ending. Uh, The Memphis 
uh, you know, murder uh, via the hands of five police officers. Uh, all the police officers were black, and the the citizen who was murdered, the young man, was black. So that white supremacist, racist uh, story or narrative just doesn't comport to what actually happened. I mean, uh, you know, they're trying to stretch it by saying, well, they, they were driven by, you know, uh, ideas of supremacy or ideas of, of racism, which drove their actions. And that's, that's, just, that's a preposterous notion. But here's the real danger in that, right? Here, here's the deal. Um, and I, I spell this out in the article. When we come up with these simplistic ideas that are convenient, like, right? you know, it's convenient to just say everything is due to racism. And uh, and therefore, you know, certainly the parties will will suffer whatever, uh, you know, whatever justice they must suffer, suffer because of that. But but what it does is it prevents us from looking deeper at the real root causes of incidences like this. And so, I'm, I, you know, I think it's I think it's really hurtful to the family and to the life of the young man uh, who lost his life. Um, if we come up with these simplistic, naive uh, you know, convenient ideas like racism and say, okay, that's what it is. Uh, because, you know, again, uh, what about, you know, training? What about, you know, all these people were new hires. What about the zeal to hire new people and to accelerate them through the onboard process without psych evaluations, without other, you know, due diligence? What about the fact that we had a defund movement that, that really provoked the the retirement of a lot of seasoned police officers and left a dearth of of law enforcement in these in these major cities which forced them to rapidly go out and try to hire and train new police officers and therefore uh you know cut corners on a hiring and training process i mean these are the things that really should be looked at seriously but if we all buy into, well, it's just racism, man, it's just, you know, let's just throw, you know, throw the book at these guys because they're just white supremacist racist. And uh, then it's just, it's not serious. And, and, and for what this guy, this young man endured, the brutality, the, the, the sheer inhumanity that he endured, we need to be more rigorous in this. Kevin right. McGarry is on the phone with us. He is the co-founder of Every Black Life Matters, EBLM. He's also the author of The War on Women, From the Root to the Fruit, Which Side Are You On, and other books as well. I, I want to ask you, because you brought this up, and, and I think it's a great point, that is it a matter of simply having these conversations, which I would think that you would be open to and, and encouraging to happen You know, with the, the organization that you have, or is it a matter of, you know, even though we have these conversations, people are so predisposed to believing what they believe now that they don't even want to listen to you anymore? Yeah, I, I, I think by and large, this one is not really gaining the traction of some of the other uh, incidences of, of police brutality and racism. Um, this one is a little bit harder for them to really peg that story and have it stick. I think most people are being reasonable, or at least somewhat reasonable, in looking at this situation. Uh, the the other thing that exacerbates it is they have a brand new uh, chief of police who was fired from our other job, by the way. So you you have this you have this city that's run top to bottom 
you know, by leftist progressive Democrats. Okay. Now this is not a political argument. I'm just saying this is, this is what it is. I mean, top to bottom. So they wanted to come up with a, uh, they wanted to sort of placate uh, and, and check the box for, you know, gender. And so they made sure they went out and hired a black female to be the chief of police and because they wanted to beat their chest and say, look, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're woke and we're progressive and we're a great city because we've done this thing. Well, the problem with that is if you hire somebody that's incompetent, uh, then you're going to get some level of incompetence in the lower ranks. You know, I mean, is this, and I think that that should also be looked at. I mean, is it, you know, leadership issues? Um, you know, this this whole department that they had, the Scorpion unit, that they since disbanded because they, you know, they know that this is just kind of ridiculous how this thing happened last week. So, um, there, but, you know, the point is, is that there's a lot to look at here. It, yeah. it, it's not, it's not as simple. Hey, that's just racist. Okay. Let's just put these guys, throw the book at them, put them up for life and move on. No. Yeah. No. And, and it never is. It's never, it's never that easy. Although uh, there are cases that, that certainly look a little bit more like something than others. This one doesn't really fit into any box. Um, let me ask you this because we're running out of time. We started popping around all over the place, but I, I found a quote from you that I just am like, man, I, I want to ask you about this before we run out of time. It says Marx's followers, we're talking about Karl Marx here. Marx's followers were disappointed that the workers' revolution did not take place in the Western world, and they came up with a different strategy, conquering the free world by transforming the consciousness of the people using culture as a weapon became their scheme. This is the true origin of the woke culture. Please explain. Are we are we are we way down that yeah. road? Or are we can we come back from it? Yeah. So uh, I, so my last book that I wrote it just released uh, four months ago. It's called Woked Up, and the subtitle was finally putting an axe to the taproot of white supremacy and racism in America. Now, in that book, I started to look at Karl Marx, but I I started literally with his mentor, Charles Robert Darwin. And if you if you connect the dots, I know you run out of time. I'm not going to go through the whole thing here, but that book is absolutely essential for anybody that's sincere about trying to figure out what the woke movement is about and what it's not. Uh, when you follow and connect the dots, you realize that what we have today in the with the wokesters and the woke movement are literally white supremacists and racists by virtue of their commitment to be rooted in Marxism. Karl Marx was a notorious racist, sexist, misogynist. He was an absolutely abhorrent person, uh, evil, uh, demoniac, in my opinion. I mean, this guy was absolutely, unbelievably horrible. And, uh, and, and so the, the Wolfsters are literally Marxist revolutionaries. And this is exactly what Marx had in mind, is you get these people to sort of fall in with culture, you make it so corrosive and, and uh, make the pressure so high that they all say, yeah, 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 I'm woke, I'm woke, I'm woke, without really understanding what it means, and then they just fall in line and carry the torch, if you will, of Marxism. And that's what the woke movement is all about. And uh, so it's, it's a really... Uh, nefarious scheme, but it, you know, unfortunately it's worked and wokeism is everywhere. It's not just in America, it's global. 
And uh, so we, as, as conscientious people, people of moral character, people of faith, must become better at recognizing what it is and what it's not. And my book, Woke Up, will help you to do that. So uh, hopefully your listeners will uh, go and do that. It's Amazon, Woke Up, W-O-K-E-D, Up. And, uh, and you'll get it in about two days. And that'll give you everything you need to know. Everything's properly footnoted. All the research is there. and give everything you need to know to bring your friends, family, uh, you know, your children and grandchildren along and bring them out of the woke movement because it's dangerous. It's disastrous. It sounds like great reading for those who want to be informed. Kevin McGarry, the book is called Woked Up. Now, if people want to connect with you outside of the book or they want to get the book, but they also want to just learn more about you and, and connect with your organizations, how do they do that? Yeah, please do. Just go to everyblm.com, everyblm.com. We are the righteous and faithful alternative to BLM, to Black Lives Matter. Um, And so if you want to find out more about us, please go to everyblm.com. You connect with us there. You'll find out more about us. You can support us, pray for us. And we are doing the hard work at the tip of the spear in culture, and we love it. So just help us out. Come alongside and we'll begin to make a big dent in in the current culture, the current trajectory in culture. Absolutely. Kevin McGarry, I really appreciate your time. And I, I unfortunately, we're out of time. We're going to have to reconnect again, okay? Sometime we're going to have to have you back on if that's all right. Absolutely. I'd love to do it. God bless you, brother. All right. Thank you so much. And like we said before, and we come out of every break playing Pink because Pink said she doesn't want to be associated with conservative values. So we are again playing Pink as our bump music. Kevin McGarry was great. We'll have him back. We'll be right back. Last segment of the show, we do have the full cast back in here. Old Roy and Trisha and myself. Uh, Not a whole lot of story here to share with you. And that's okay since we don't have a ton of time left. But I wanted to get your reaction to this less as a political story and more socially, but it is political. It says Democrats are complaining about the title of a new GOP subcommittee. So let me explain. A work and welfare subcommittee within the House Ways and Means Committee has drawn lengthy complaints from Democrats this week who said that the name is deeply offensive to people who draw welfare checks and that is a, that it is especially offensive to black Americans. And here's why it's super interesting. Now, now I would tell this is a national story. What, what is the name of the sub, subcommittee subcommittee? I'll tell I, you again, right after I give you this information, the chairman of this new committee is Jason Smith, Republican from Missouri. He called the committee which is, again, Tricia, titled the Work and Welfare Subcommittee under the House Ways and Means Committee. He called the committee to order on Tuesday to approve the rules for the committee in Congress. Those rules included to name the subcommittee as Work and Welfare, which drew racist comments from democrats now it's not just that this is a great place we happen to be in right here between missouri and illinois because uh jason smith said the reason for that name is because the purpose of is the focus we're trying to have is to try to uplift people out of poverty and the best way to uplift people out of poverty is with work so going on here a a democrat from illinois is the number one person pushing back on this. Danny K. Davis from Illinois is accusing Republicans 
and he's black, of pursuing a name for a Ways and Means Committee that is racially offensive. Please tell me, crew, how the name Work and Welfare is A, offensive, and B, especially offensive to black Americans. That's the name? I thought there was like a nickname or something coming. No, that's it. Work and welfare is the offensive racist name. Yes. Yes. This feels like a trick question. Doesn't it? Mm -hmm. No, there's no more information to be shared. That's all of it. And it just so happens, again, national story, but just so happens to be for us in St. Louis, we got a, a Republican from Missouri and an Illinois Democrat fighting the most over this. Hmm. I mean, I think we all probably are coming from the same place here of saying, this is ridiculous, right? Yeah. I just I, wanted to make sure. I don't I don't get it. I mean, there there's a lot of kind of dumb things. There was the, the few years ago, there was the one city council. I don't remember where it was, but one of the people on the city council was talking about their the budget and throwing money down a black hole. Well, there was a a black person on the committee that demanded an apology because that was racist. (laughs) So it's stupid, but at least there's words in there that you go, a dumb uh, person could be like, okay, you just don't understand. Maybe never heard the phrase before or something. But this one doesn't, I don't get it. I can't even logically find how they're coming to that. Yeah, it happens so often where there are actually terrible racist things and people and the history of racism is real. And I don't think anybody disputes that that racism is a thing. But there are so many other things that aren't racist until somebody says that's racist. And like you're just making something out of nothing. Yeah. And you can't expect everybody to fall in line. And it just then takes away from trying to make right the wrongs of society. I just, it's so counterproductive to anybody that actually cares about equality. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's two things to me. It's one, it's um, shows that there's power behind the word racist, like that calling somebody racist Mm -hmm. is a very powerful thing to do. And therefore people always abuse power they find power and they go oh i could use that for a different reason and so i'm going to use it and that's what's exactly what seems to be happening here the second though is one that comes up somewhat often but i i really think this is a great example of it is that when you say that the word welfare is offensive to black people you're being racist Right. <laughs> you have now tied mm-hmm. an entire race to the word welfare. Nobody was doing that until you did it in calling out yep. racism. Right. And that is so common with a lot of these claims that when you really look at the voter ID laws was a great one just mm-hmm. coming to mind that, well, this is unfair to black people. Well, why are you saying that? Are you saying that black people are... Um, what fill in the blank that that makes them unlikely to get IDs, and usually they would fill in those words. They wouldn't say that they wouldn't <clears throat> say them at the same time. They would say this is uh, hurts black people. These laws 
<clears throat> but then they separately would say things like, well, um, it's because of people that don't have transportation and they're poor. And these Pover- other things. I mean, poverty is always po- the yeah. the thing. And equating the two with black people and and poverty and poverty that is in itself racist it so just is blanket statement yes and that's i mean that's so often i mean we'll kind of end the show on this idea is just that um when we talk about racism in broad terms not necessarily individuals or things but big social movement kind of racism stuff <clears throat> so often people use the word racist as a synonym with economic issues. And it's so like the COVID vaccine. I'm, I'm coming up with examples as I'm saying it. Remember they were saying, well, it's going to be harder for black people to get the COVID vaccine. Therefore, we should prioritize black people. And really the data they were citing was it's going to be harder for low income people to get the vaccine if they want to get it because of X, Y, Z. But they would say that it's racist. Well, and government, va- and, and I don't have enough information, and I know we don't have enough time, but government vaccinations in the black community, that's a whole different line that's of, very true too. of skepticism that and so had why nothing even, to do with poverty. Yeah. And why even make it race at all? Because it really did just have to do with transportation and mobility, and just like we deal mm-hmm. with now in the cities with food deserts, people not being able to go get groceries as easily because you can't walk down the street a, because of crime, B, maybe, but B, because there's nothing close. And so if you don't have easy transportation and you're on the bottom of the economic ladder, it's just harder for you to get stuff in general. But those are all economic concerns They're and urban versus rural concerns, not necessarily race concerns. There's <laughs> overlap. Like, but there's, but it's not one equals the other. And saying so really is more racist especially in circumstances like this that I think we just we kind of gloss over it but when we have the time like we do here I think it's one of those things that's it's good to point out because sometimes well-meaning people get caught up in that trap well and it's it's one of those things that if and this applies to any of the isms but if everything's racist then nothing's racist yeah they're they're watering down by assuming, uh, calling everything racist, the things that truly are, then just get lumped in with all these. Re- and then you, t- you just kind of ones. So you yeah. throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's basically exactly what Trisha was saying. Yeah, right. That if you actually want to deal with racism, the worst thing you could do is call everything racism, mm-hmm. because then you know everybody's eyes gloss over when you talk about it. And well-meaning people on the other side too, who are like, you know what? I think I would like to deal with this, are so overwhelmed with constantly using the race word that they're just like, look, I don't even know where to start now. I'd love to help. But if it's not actually related to anything like in these stories, then you go, it's just, it, where am I even going to start? Right. I'm not going to do anything. All right. Well, thank you guys. Uh, great show. And well, great show for you, Trisha and me. Old Roy, thanks for being here and, and trying. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> you, you sure do. I'm it's, still Team Roy. That's great. That's great that somebody is. Uh, appreciate your time this weekend. If you want to rewind on the Odyssey app, you can do that. You can also find the Wiggins America podcast. Get more at 971talk.com. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.